I'm Kim Fleck. And I'm Eric Harris. And this is Healing is in Your Hands. The purpose of this podcast is to share our perspective on holistic healing and how you can take back your healing power. Today's guest is a multifaceted individual. He is a life coach, a visual artist, and has been in long-term recovery. He specializes in coaching others through recovery. He leads meditations, facilitates retreats, and builds beautiful rock sculptures called Karns. Our guest has also been on his own wellness journey with cancer and will be sharing his experience with us today. You will hear more about our guest after a brief word from our sponsor. The Wu Healing Center is located in West Hartford, Connecticut and Maynard, Mass. The mission of the Wu Healing Center is to educate, inspire, and empower people to take control of their own health and well-being. They provide world-class traditional Chinese medicine, Tai Chi, and Qigong practitioners focused on empowering Qi, enhancing health, and healing the mind, body, and spirit. They provide long-distance Taoist TCM educational classes to teach families how to heal each other and spread Taoist Chinese medicine to the world. To learn more about Dr. Ming Wu and his health and healing philosophy, you can go to wuhealing.com. And we encourage you to visit the Wu Healing Center page on Facebook and click on membership to learn about their closed group for live classes, educational materials, and more. We are pleased to welcome George Herrick to the Healing is in Your Hands podcast. Hi. Hi. It's good to be here. George, it's a pleasure to meet you in person and to have the opportunity to share your story with our listeners. Thanks, Kim. So, George, you might not even remember this, but (laughs) the first time I met you, which was, I think, like 2006 now. Wow. Because that's when I was first coming around at Hartford Family Institute Uh with Dr. Wu. And uh, I remember seeing you in the break room, like the little kitchen area there, right? And you were sitting at the table. And I was sitting there, I think I was eating my lunch, and you said something to me that really stuck with me. So instead of saying, I think it was the first time we met, right? And you said, most people will say, oh, so what do you do for a living, right? You know, it's a common thing that people say, right? And you you turned to me and you said, hi, I'm I'm George Herrick. And he said, and you said, "Uh, what do you love to do? (laughs) <laughs> right just like that and i was like ooh, ooh. it really i like this man. It, yeah it really it was really <laughs> profound for me and especially i think what i was going through in my life at the time and whatever and uh you know from that point on i think i uh i always had a great connection with you and i always mm-hmm. enjoyed our conversation so i'm glad to you know have you here and uh continue some great conversations i'm delighted <laughs> to be here and i'm delighted to be uh, reminded of that i uh, i had forgotten yeah although not the question, because that's a question that that uh, I often ask, and it's it's vitally important what really makes people come alive, mm. you know. And so, any way that we can connect with somebody by by inviting them into what makes them come alive, uh, all of a sudden you've got a relationship before you even know them. Um. I wanted to know if you could explain to our listeners what Karns are and what role they play in your life. Mm. Well, the term itself is Gaelic, and basically it means pile of stones. <laughs> I've been building them all my life, but uh, they took on special meaning for me on November 2nd of 2014. 
I had separated from my wife uh, a few months before that. And um, there's a retreat center on the coast of Connecticut that allowed me to stay at their place. And so they're right on the beach. And my first morning waking up, I walked down to the beach and it was covered with stones. And so I, as a meditation and quite frankly, feeling kind of sorry for myself, I just began to quietly stack them. And each one, you know, I would feel the stones, I would feel the weight, and in one way or another feel the weight within me uh, as I was experiencing my own depression uh, in this separation. And there was something very healing about the process of making this Karen, and I wrote about it as a meditation and posted it on Facebook. I saw that, Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) And um, the next morning when I woke up, I did the same thing. And the next morning, the same thing. And today was day... 1777, um, almost continuous days. I think I've missed six days in the almost five years That's since impressive. that moment. <laughs> we were saying how amazing that was. He, he did the Tao. Uh-huh. I, I did 81 days of Tao uh-huh. this, this year, like in May. Uh, I did it in yeah. honor of my dog that passed away. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and I, I know just what the commitment is of 81 days. And yeah. I saw so. yours and I was like, yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole new ballgame. Well, it's also fun. I mean, mm-hmm. I was down at the beach this past weekend and, uh, and I was making a few Karens and met some kids who were visiting from California. And they were fascinated by it. So they they wanted me to teach them. And uh, then somebody else walked by, an older couple, and could they take a picture of us building these cans? Right. And then some little kid wanted to. So it's a way of, you know, a lot of people don't like it because when they're out in nature, they, they want pristine, unspoiled, uh, you know, no evidence of man having been there. I totally get that. Yeah. But this was a place very well known for making cairns. And um, and people were just fascinated to experience this. So, And I co- bet you have a lot of stories like that, oh, too, over, over this time. I do. Yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there was one last year in Denver. I was making a cairn on the river. I had just done a week-long... Uh, retreat and I was sitting by the river making a cairn and um, and this little girl with bare feet her feet were wet and the only reason I knew that is because the the friend of mine I was with who took a picture of her you could see the little wet bare feet scooching along uh, and she the little girl got right up to me and was watching what I was doing and uh, once I saw her I showed her and so she started doing it and she was just in bliss. She didn't even know I was there anymore. She was just <laughs> stacking these stones. So it's it's a great way of, of connecting. And that's, that's why I do it now. But initially, it was just to connect with me. And since then, my wife and I got back together. Uh, it was like the 
the Karens didn't do all the work. I did a lot of work <laughs> myself, but, but they helped me to find my way back to me, which in turn helped me find my way back to my wife. That's beautiful. Yeah. We kind of, um, before you got here, we were trying to figure out how to pronounce it. If it was Kearns or Karns, and <laughs> we were having a whole debate. The yeah. answer is yes and yes. <laughs> some people go. say Karens, some people say Karns. Yeah. I, think, I think the Scottish, uh, who sort of originated the word, um, uh, I think they say Karns. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. We were trying to figure that out. You just mentioned that there were several different locations. Do you have any favorite locations that you've built them at? They're um, all unique, right? <laughs> yeah, they're all unique. I mean, any anywhere there's a pebble, there's a Karen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. That's a t-shirt right there. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> Richard the Cabbage, are you listening? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Actually, I have a t-shirt that says, not all who wander are lost. Uh, some are looking for rocks. <laughs> I saw that on Facebook, and I said, "Eric, that sticker is on the back of my on the back of my car." So it's a life is good, not uh, all who wander are lost. And then you have the added part, and he yeah. just laughed, and he's like, "Oh, that's yeah. great! I love it." I even build them in my studio. Yeah, I mean, just literally anywhere. The pictures are beautiful. I mean, I spent quite a bit of time just going through each picture, and like, mm -hmm. you take all the pictures yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can tell you like you like photography, right? I do. Me too. I, <laughs> I yeah. could tell you did. Yeah. So Kim and I, obviously, a lot of our listeners now have a deep connection to the ocean and nature, and we see that you do too. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything else you want to tell us a little bit about your connection to nature and how is it, how it's been a source of healing for you? Well, it always has been. I mean, my. I can go back to childhood. I mean, my mother was, was she grew up a real tomboy and um, had this expectation of, I was her second son, and she had an expectation of the boys to go out and play baseball and football and go out for track and all of that sort of thing. And that just wasn't me. And so uh, she would tell me and tell me to go out and play. And so I'd head toward the ball field, um, sort of, trailing after my brother, and then I'd make a, a <laughs> left turn or a right turn to the woods, and I'd be happy as can be all day just playing in the woods by myself. So I really have this affinity for it, and there's nothing about being in the woods that particularly frightens me. I feel very comfortable there. It's home. Me too. I was going to yeah. say, this is why you two connected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Earthwalker. Yeah. So we recently had a friend of yours on the podcast, um, Kelvin Young. Oh, yes. And he spoke about his recovery story, which I might add was moving and phenomenal. Mm. And I just wanted to jump over and hug him the mm -hmm. entire time he was talking. Um, every recovery story is personal and entails so many different aspects. Mm. Um, if you don't mind, could you share a bit of your story with our listeners? Well, toward the end of my drinking, uh, I was I was homeless. Um, I there were times when I would make it to my parents' house, and and they were both heavy drinkers, and and so we sort of had a game. Whoever passed out last made sure everybody else had blankets. Um, it was 
I was numb to it at, at the time. There are moments when I feel heartbroken about it now and other times when um, I'm actually grateful for the experience because it it did help form my recognition of just where my addiction had taken me. And so one day, I don't know exactly when, um, I came to in an alley in Hartford and um, and on some level I had had enough and so I went to my sister and I said I need help and she looked at me and could see that I was drunk and she said you make me sick when you're like this and got up and walked away and so I knew I was completely and totally alone there was nothing left um, so I called the psychiatrist that I was occasionally seeing when I was sober enough to get there um, and said, I'm ready, I, I need to get help. And so he put me in the um, psychiatric ward of St. Francis Hospital. And uh, I think we got to a few AA meetings there, but, um, uh, well, no, I, I don't think. I, I know we got to a few. Uh, because there was something that I heard, and it wasn't words. It was it was um, some kind of a connection, some kind of a soul connection that I heard that made me feel, I don't know what these people have, but whatever it is, I want to try it when, when I get out of here. Mm -hmm. So I got the meetings right away and, and uh, went to them, went to a lot of them. Um, and what I realized over time was that I had no idea how to live. Mm -hmm. You know, um, alcohol, when I first started, uh, gave me a connection to life. Uh, I felt black sheep, fish out of water all my life. And so alcohol was the first time I felt like I belonged. And then the other drugs that I did after that just enhanced that until I was captured by them. And once that happened, just the opposite happened, and I lost more and more of myself the longer I went on. And there was something about getting sober that I realized I have no idea, I have no clue how to live. And so I did what the people in 12-step uh, fellowship said and followed their guidance and, and gradually learned how to live and to the extent that I could learned how to love myself and um, briefly my you mentioned my cancer at the beginning and, mm -hmm. and um, what I discovered through the cancer it's like the next step in my recovery is recovery from alcohol taught me how to live and how to love recovery from cancer is teaching me why Hmm. And so I can say more about that later, but uh, that that sure. really is the essence of recovery for me. It's about connection. That's beautiful. Wow. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like. Hmm. <laughs> I've never had to be arrested in sobriety. I've yeah. never had to um, look at my ruined car and wonder how that happened in sobriety <laughs> you know mm -hmm. i um 
I, I own a telephone pole in Simsbury, Connecticut, number 1135S. I have no idea how I took that um, <laughs> pole down with my car, but there were enough people who saw it happen that I have to believe them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so that doesn't happen now. Right. Yeah. You know? And by the grace of God, you're here, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's kind of, I don't know, I feel like that's part of your purpose, too. Because, like what you just said, by the grace of God, he's still here. Because mm. you're supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Through all of that. Yeah. You know, that and the cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it segues right into our next question, which is, so how do you reach people who suffer from addiction and alcoholism, and what tools do you use to help them? Mm. Great question. Um, Obviously, meetings are a great way to do it. Um, I have spoken at hospitals and prisons and um, spoken to corporations, um, but also... I don't make a particular secret out of my life and my experience. And so I'll post on Facebook. I'll, um, if I see somebody struggling or asking somebody else in a grocery line uh, a question, uh, you know, I'm perfectly willing to chime in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because although I want to respect, I always want to respect people's um, lives, people's um, need for privacy and, and all of that. Pain, in my, in my mind, in my heart, um, pain and suffering takes precedence over somebody's comfort level. And if they're not comfortable hearing a truth about um, about what they're experiencing or hearing a truth about a way out of what they're experiencing, I'm willing for them not to like me, hmm. but I'm going to give them uh, in, in as compassionate a way as I can, you know, in as invitational a way as I can, I'm going to give them something that, that could help if they choose to take it. Yeah. And if they don't, that's fine. I've done my piece, you know, I'm, I've planted the seed. That's, that's all I can do. Yeah, and you never know where that seed's going to grow. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Um, so I'm not a I'm not afraid of of um, of responding to the call when it shows up. I'm not a proselytizer. I don't go out seeking it, but I'm not afraid of it when it comes. Yeah, that's awesome. So in our kind of fast-paced society with everybody with their buzzwords of everyone's stressed, everyone's stressed out, and maybe that's why they utilize things like alcohol and other drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, what techniques might you use with somebody to um, give them a, a better way of dealing with stress instead of a self-destructive way? Well, certainly the 12-step program is 
I mean, it saved my life. So, so you know, that's sort of my anchor. Um, to, to this day. You're to this day, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't go with the regularity that I used to go mm-hmm. uh, to meetings, but, um, you know, way back when my, my sponsor said go to more meetings than you need to. And um, apparently I don't need quite as many as I did, but I never want to find out uh, right. what that number would have been, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So I still go. Um, but now where my work and, and my life has taken me is, is to try and help people recognize that everything they're seeking really is already within them. And what our culture has done and what um, the addiction of TV and media and all of that has done is separate us not only from each other, but more importantly, it separated us from ourselves. And so anything that can help someone reconnect with themselves is, is useful. I mean, you know, the meditative work, the sound healing, the reflexology, the um, Reiki. I mean, anything that gets someone back into their body, anything that gets someone into the mindfulness of their mind, not the, not the yappy, uh, spinning craziness yeah, of the, the mind. circus. The circus, yeah. Uh, monkey monkey mind, I yeah, sometimes call it, yeah. um, or the squirrel cage. Um, <laughs> so, so it's about recognizing that um, you know our our emotions are there for a reason. Uh, every emotion is a teacher. The uh, there are no negative or positive emotions, but the ones that are uh, that make us feel good or that we enjoy, like joy and, and happiness and love, um, those are there to teach us that what we're doing is working, do more. And the ones that we don't like or that feel unpleasant, like anger and sadness and pain and grief, those are just there to say, there's something you're doing that's not working. Let's take a look at this and, and do something different. When we can identify that, when we can go inside and say, well, my sadness wants, or my anger wants, all of a sudden that shifts everything. Yeah. It just absolutely shifts everything. And we start to become more connected with ourselves. Now, that, that takes some work, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I've been sober now since 1975. I didn't come by this by waking up one Tuesday you know Um, so it takes it takes some time but it's absolutely teachable and so that's what a lot of my work is about that's great Mm. yeah and I would say too even some people don't have to go through the the trials and tribulations of even going down the path of drug and alcohol you know, and to, to get their way to that, like everyone that it's important for all of, you know, everyone to find that some, somehow, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And like Absolutely. you said, there's addictions everywhere. There's all these things and it's like, yeah, it's, it, it's so beautiful what you said. And it's so true. Like what, you know, it's a lot of stuff that I work with my, my clients as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so. I'm, I'm just curious. Um, and you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to. Um, I say this as someone who grew up in an alcoholic family mm-hmm. and who's 
dad is a sponsor and teaches, you know, speaks at prisons and all over the place. And my mom ran Alateen and is an Al-Anon. So I'm very, very familiar with mm. with the whole deal. And, and I'm super familiar too. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, and it's not even just my immediate. I mean, it's our family. Yeah. And and I love my family, and this is that's part of our journey. Um, I am curious, though, having been around a lot of um, AA and Al-Anon, do you find that there's a lot of people these days that are more in line with things that you do is in terms of, you know, meditation and grounded? I know that there seemed to be, I don't want to say that people weren't receptive to it totally, mm-hmm. but I see it more now than when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely, and and there are definitely people who are not attuned with that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's um, for for many many people, um, not only in recovery but people at large, right. uh, for whom this kind of stuff is very woo woo. Yeah, yeah, that's what and, I mean. Yeah, yeah. and um, however, uh, I've met although I've met a lot of people who don't believe in meditation, and don't like meditation, and don't want to meditate. I've never met anybody who actually doesn't meditate. Yeah. It's just that they call it something different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the CPA who is crunching numbers and is so focused that the entire rest of the world does not exist is meditating. Yeah. You know, not when it's so much in his head, but when it's just totally in his being and these numbers are everything to me right now. Yeah. In the zone. That is, that is meditation. Yeah. So they may not call it that. And that's fine, you know. I, I can I can like, speak like I can speak their language yeah. even if they can't speak mine. You know, totally. yeah. <laughs> that's so spot on though because yeah. I think of my dad building um, a black powder rifle uh-huh. and how long that would take him and how meticulous the process was. But he probably doesn't see it as a meditative moment. Right. Yeah. But it was hours of meditation. Yeah. I have a dear friend who will swear up and down every single day. I do not meditate. I have never mm-hmm. meditated and I will die without <laughs> meditating. And will even say that while he's working on a uh, jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> yeah. I think you might know my dad. Crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. They and just don't fine. see it like that. That's fine. Yeah. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter. All roads, if, we're, if we have any level of consciousness, actually, even if we don't, all roads ultimately lead home. Mm-hmm. We're just choosing the roads that feed our soul the most. And in the case of addiction or any other disease or discomfort, um, you know, some of the roads that we choose, you know, as we're driving, I mean, coming up here from where I was, I came up a gravel road. Oh, yeah. And there were bumps and potholes and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the way that road was. Well, that's how I could describe addiction. Yeah. You know, it's gravelly and bumpy and there's rocks in the way and sticks falling from the trees and and it's not a pleasant road to drive. But it led me here. And I could have come from the other direction on nice pavement and maybe it was repaved and it would have been very smooth and fluid and I got I would have gotten here. And that's what we're doing in life. Ultimately, we get to where we're going. The road we have to take is all about the lessons that we have to learn. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it doesn't matter which way we get there. You yeah. know, however we reconnect to ourselves and, 
you know, that's that's the right way. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And that is the, I, I think that is the ultimate goal for those who choose to, is how do I reconnect to myself? Um, Gabor Mate and, and others are doing amazing work in recognizing what addiction really is all about. And um, and he started, just briefly, he started by, by studying uh, GIs when they came back from Vietnam and uh, noticing that some people came back with a very, very strong addiction and yet broke it the moment they got got back. And others couldn't. And what was the difference? The difference, the primary difference was the their ability uh, not just to have support in their life, but to be able to take in that support. And so our work really is to find those things that block us from taking in the support that's available to us, whether it's a higher power or another person or uh, some kind of passion that we love doing, whatever the whatever the support is, uh, is individual. But we we want to start to pull away the things that block us from taking in the love and support that allows us to live and love and feel worthy. Right. And like you said, Eric, it doesn't have to necessarily be addiction to a substance. People are addicted to so many other things that are, they're not connecting to themselves in their life that are just as damaging. There are four different kinds of addiction. Mm -hmm. There's substance addiction, which is what we're talking about. Right. There's process addiction, which is like shopping, gambling, uh, sex addiction, that that kind of thing. Uh, there's systemic addiction, which people used to call uh, addictive thinking or addictive personality, mm-hmm. where your whole system acts like an addict, and so there's no particular focus of your uh. of your addiction. And then there's what they call codependency, which is really relationship addiction. Mm-hmm. What people don't realize is that all four of those kinds of addictions work on the same chemistry in the brain. So it's not that we're really addicted to a substance or a particular substance or a particular process. We're addicted to the release of those chemicals in the brain. And whatever creates that... Satisfies that. Yeah. (laughs) And then you feel good no matter what you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yep. We will be right back after a brief word from our sponsor. Healing is in Your Hands is sponsored by Ralphie's Retreat a no-kill shelter located in western Maine dedicated to cats who have been diagnosed with feline leukemia. Ralphie's opened in July of 2013 with the mission of providing FELV cats from all over the United States with healthy, happy, long lives. Some come from homes where their owners could no longer care for them or from shelters that euthanize cats just for testing positive. Ralphie's treats leukemia with both western and alternative medicines. The cats have access to natural light, beautiful indoor spaces, a fenced yard with climbable trees, butterflies, and more. We hope that you will consider donating or sponsoring some of Ralphie's fabulous felines. You can learn about Ralphie's life-saving work and their beautiful feline friends at ralphiesretreat.org. That's Ralphie's, R-A-L-P-H-I-E-S, retreat.org. Follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. With your help, we can change the outlook for FELV cats around the country through love, compassion, advocacy, and education. 
All right, George. So life coaching is really popular right now, mm-hmm. right? And so let us know how long have you been a life coach and what made you decide to be one? Well, um, let's see. It's been officially it's been almost 20 years. Wow. So uh, you're, you're ahead of the curve. I was going to say, so George, for all the people on Instagram that are life coaches, everybody's a life coach. George has been one before Instagram was up there for <laughs> you to true. be a life yeah. coach. Yeah. <laughs> George there is the original any, life yeah, coach. OG. <laughs> OG here in the house. Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, there wasn't any Instagram. That, um, I, so it was 2001, so it was 18 years. Um, and... Uh, and the process, once again, has to do with addiction. Um, after I had been sober, I don't know, 20 years or so, I decided I got to give some of this back. And so I became a counselor in, in a drug and alcohol treatment center. And, um, and I worked a lot with men. Uh, I worked with everybody, but, but I kind of specialized in working with men and with families and developed some of the educational uh, components for the different treatment centers that I worked for. But one of the things that really bothered me was the recidivism. If mm-hmm. I worked at this treatment center uh, for, let's say, a couple of years, I would see many of the same people come back. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go to another treatment center, and I'd see some of the people that I saw from the first one. And eventually, you know, in theory, the burnout for a drug and alcohol counselor is uh, about 16 to 18 months. Wow. I stuck with it for 10 years and finally said, I can't do this. I want to work with people who are really committed to the recovery. Because recovery isn't just for people who want it. It's for people who need it. I mean, I reversed that. Right. It's not for people who need it. It's for people who want it. And Because you were seeing a lot of people that were being forced to go. Exactly. And that's the exactly. difference. Yeah. And uh, they were there because of um, court or mm-hmm. because their family insisted on it or they were being threatened with divorce or whatever it was. And not because I want to turn my life around. So... Even now, uh, you know, probably about 60% of my practice uh, are people in recovery. And, um, and I recognize that there are a lot of systems, there are a lot of um, processes, there are a lot of institutions that are available for people who are new in recovery. But when somebody has been around for a long time, the typical response is go back to basics. Well, that's important, and I use that phrase a lot myself. But there's a lot to be said for going forward into something mm-hmm. called your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and so it's not always about going back to something. It's about moving forward into something bigger. Um, like evolving. I, evolving, right? exactly, yeah. exactly. We... Um, we addicts are just like everybody else, only more so, and so, and so when when um, when we get too familiar with something, we start to get bored, and we don't know how to handle bored very well, yeah. and um, 
So, I mean, that's a good reason to teach mindfulness. Uh, you know, I mean, that's that's boredom with a cause. We're going to make these T-shirts. Yeah, right there. <laughs> mindfulness. <laughs> boredom with a cause. <laughs> that would fly off the rack. Um, but I, I mean that with, with all respect because I, I practice that myself. Um, but it, what it comes down to is we need to have something that we're growing into. My favorite line, I, I, I love the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. My favorite line, however, uh, is in the, uh, the book 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, where it defines the AA definition of humility, which is knowing who and what we really are, coupled with a sincere attempt to become what we can be. Mm. That's my gig. (laughs) That's what I want. You know, let's get to the truth of what's driving us, what is getting in our way, what what blocks us, what makes us come alive, all of that. Let's let's dig into the depth of that. And then where are we going to take it? What can we do? What can we accomplish with our lives? Not only for other people, but also for us, because quite frankly, if we don't take care of ourselves, we're not going to be very good at taking care of other people. So it's it's about both equally. And becoming, you know, making that honest attempt to become all that we're capable of being. And that's why I love what I do. I get to live with that every day. I love that you're talking about them moving forward because I feel like a lot of times people get stuck mm-hmm. like in their past, what they've done, what they think they should have, the should haves, could haves, would haves, mm-hmm. and then they struggle to make the step out of that. So I love that you're saying that they should move. Not they should, but the how, <laughs> you know. Move. Eric, I think you know my love for words. Yeah. yeah. So because I love words, I'm always coming up with acronyms. Yeah. My acronym for should, a should is a subversive, heartless opinion undermining life's desire. And that's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. Because they, we were talking about, um, I do the artist way a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm about to start it for the sixth time. Wow. And she talks about that a lot, the mm-hmm. should haves and could haves and this internal critic that's always. So I even remember going to, um, what were they called? Um, adult children mm-hmm. of alcoholics. And I went to one of those, and there were people in there much, I mean, I was young then, my gosh. I must have been like 25, 26 maybe. But there were a lot of people there that were like, much, much older than me, like 60s and 70s, I was in my 20s, that seemed to me like they were still back there. Yeah. And I found it very sad, and I found it, like, I'm like, I don't want to be like that. You know, living that other people made this happen or other, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I I just thought it was very, I remember sharing it with my mom afterwards and being like, I don't want to be where people feel that way. But I guess it's not like that everywhere. You know, that was just one experience. But I just, I just found it interesting when you just said that they move forward. That I think moving forward is the key. It's not everywhere, but it's pretty common. Yeah. You know, people... When people are wounded, maybe it's even more common than that, but certainly when people are wounded, 
they want to have some something to pin that woundedness on. To blame. Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. And we often don't realize that blame doesn't really serve any purpose. It doesn't actually change anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what I came to realize in my own recovery, including uh, ACOA and, yeah. and recovering from, from what my parents did, um, what I realized is they did the absolute best they could. They were, they were just as wounded as I was, yeah. maybe more so. And so the things that, that happened, yes, I was, I was abused in many ways. And as a kid, I was maybe a victim of that. But as an adult, if I keep living, if I keep reliving that and reliving that, now I'm a volunteer. Mm-hmm. This is my life. You know, what do, what do I want from my life? And the very wounds that I experienced as a kid can become my greatest gift if I choose to pick up that that mantle and and do something with it, you know, turn it around. Yep. I think it was Joseph Campbell said, uh, wherever you, the cave in which you stumble is where you'll find your gift or something like that. Yeah. I'm probably mixing a couple of these things together, but but essentially that's that's it, you know. Where where we're most hit, hurt is where we will find our our gift if we choose to accept, not blame for it, and not to blame others, but accept responsibility for it. That means to me the ability to respond. Okay, this is what happened to me. Now what do I do? In a healthy way. In a healthy way. The yeah. ability to yeah. respond in a healthy way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I tried I it the other way. That didn't yeah, it doesn't so work. Well. Yeah. <laughs> that perpetuated yep. the wounding. <laughs> but and I do. I think the most important thing too is what you just said. People are doing the best they can with the tools they have. Be mm-hmm. it your parents, your grandparents, your significant other. People are all doing the best they can, and to blame and blame over and over. Yeah. I just don't see the purpose. I was very active in the uh, peace movement in the uh, 60s and um, and even then somehow and I was still very active in my drug use then or I was just beginning my active drug use then even then I realized I've got the energy to um, I've got the energy to protest for sure and I've got the energy to take some kind of action I've got to make a decision am I going to be against the war, am I going to be against something, or am I going to use that energy for something? Mm-hmm. And even back then, I made the decision to be for. And, and now here we are uh, cycling around, and there's a lot to protest in, in our oh, world yeah. today. There's a lot that, that is wrong that we need to turn around. But if we focus on what's not working, we're going to keep attracting what's not working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we focus on what we can do about it, yeah. That's recovery. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about um I'm part of a speaking group and of women and we 
had an event where we said, stop fighting, start living. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because a lot of the things, even really beautiful, meaningful things like these mud races for, you know, cancer, and th- of which mm-hmm. I freely participated in, it was all about fighting everything. Yeah. And my fight song and blaring everything in my ears and I'm going to take back this power. And, yeah. and there's a lot of, like you said, there's no wrong emotions, right? Mm-hmm. So that served a purpose at the time. But then when you think about it later, you go, just fighting everything. Why am I fighting everything? Yeah. Instead of finding ways yeah. to bring about change that doesn't involve fighting against it. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, Mother Teresa said, oh, you know, yeah. people would ask her to come to all these protests and things, and oh, you know, and she said, I'll never come to something where we're fighting against. You know, you come, you ask me to come to a rally for something, I'll be yeah. there, right? Yeah. You know, and I think about, you know, it's just in this past week alone, all the things mm. that have been happening with climate change and around the world, right? And that, uh, that girl, Greta, Greta. Thunberg, yeah. you know, but, and she's doing exactly what you're saying. You know, yeah. she sailed all around the world to, <laughs> to yeah. be here. Yeah. And then she brought all these facts and information that were solutions yeah. that, that said, this is what's going on and this is how we can change it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing that you can talk about it all you want, you know, and, and everybody can bicker and, and fight and, and, and all yeah. that is, is really yeah. a distraction. If there's no solution, if there's no coming together and, and that's, that's it. Change. It's mm-hmm. the distractions. Yeah. And there are those who want the distractions. Yeah. And that's oh, yeah. why that happens. Yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. Healing is in your hands is sponsored by Brand Fearless, social media for social good. Everything we do, we do with the idea of bringing good to the world. And Chief for Healing, using holistic healing practices to connect the mind, body, and spirit. Healing is in Your Hands is looking for sponsors who share our mission to educate and empower through holistic healing. If your business is interested in becoming a sponsor, email us at healingisinyourhands at gmail.com. Or you can click the link at the bottom of the description in your app to make a monthly donation of as little as 99 cents a month. We had a question. Is there a difference between what you do as a life coach and what you do as a recovery coach? I'm assuming it's kind of a blend. It is a blend. Um, I mean, it really, that really has more to do with the languaging and who I'm speaking with. A lot of people in recovery have a particular way that it makes sense for them to hear things, Hmm. you know? particularly people from 12-step, you know, they, they have a certain language that, um, and, and because of my history, I speak that language pretty well. And, um, and there are also people who are, who have no experience with anything like that and come from maybe a corporate environment or, um, or some other world. Well, I worked in corporate for years and, and so I can speak that language. So, are there some differences? Yes, in terms of goals. Um, they might have different goals or different intentions about the work. Um, but that, that's really the primary difference is the languaging. All right. So can you share with our listeners what your journey was like with cancer 
And, you know, were there, were you able to use some of your insights from your experience to help provide tools for others who are going through a similar journey? My, I won't say my, the cantor, <laughs> um, probably the most interesting, challenging journey of my life. Uh, it it came about completely unexpected, experienced prostate cancer. And, uh, well, it's the third in order killer of men, and yet it's the easiest to diagnose and the easiest to treat. Well, in my particular case, there were zero symptoms. Every test I ever had came back perfectly. Um, the blood tests, the touch tests, the um, urine tests, every, every test... Um, I was perfectly healthy, no cancer. And I had a different problem, problem with my bladder, that I went to the doctor for, and he said, you know, while we're exploring, why don't we just do a biopsy of your prostate and anything else that can go wrong up there? Because they didn't have a clue what was wrong with my bladder either. Okay. So uh, so they did... They did a biopsy, and it turned out that I was uh, stage 4A, advanced, aggressive, uh, what do they call it, um, adeno, uh, prostatic adenocarcinoma with a Gleason score of 9. Um, that doesn't mean anything to us, but the doctors don't particularly care that much about uh, the stages, they care about the Gleason the score. Yeah. And, Is that um, 9 out of 10? Or? 9 out of 10, okay. yeah, and it, right. it, it should be, the highest it should be is around 2 in each of the two brackets. It shouldn't be any higher than that. I had a 4 and a 5, Okay. and that's how they describe it. It's Gleason 4 plus 5 equals 9. They don't say 9. <laughs> <laughs> it's doctor stuff. And I had a, um, a use-by date. <laughs> so to speak. Uh, I had a couple of years, okay. and that was it. Um, so within weeks, the, um, the surgeon took it out, and ever since then I've been on um, hormone therapies and a very heavy-duty drug. It says right on the label, pregnant women should not touch this vial. Nice. Um, so what is the process really about? Like I said before, it's teaching me why I'm here. The, the addiction taught me how to live, and, and cancer is teaching me why to live. It's about, I don't really know how to accept love. And certainly there is love all around me, and, and I discovered that even more once I let it be known that, that I have cancer. And... and People would rally around me in ways I couldn't even imagine, and I would be scratching my head and saying, "Why are they doing this?" Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's—I have a disease. I'm dealing with it. What's, what is this? And and what I what I came to realize is that this was a gift for me, to teach me to open to not just them, but open to myself. I'd been so closed because of all those abuses in childhood. And although I had done a lot of healing around that, where the healing was lacking was 
the simple, pure acceptance of me as a human being with um, with a right to be here, and I didn't have to prove anything or do anything or suffer a life-threatening disease in order to claim my space in this world. Well, that was radical for me. <laughs> radical. I think that's radical yeah, for most for people. Anyone. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Yeah. And so here I am, a um, little over a year later, and I'm still struggling with it, but, I, but I'm starting to get that, yeah, if I just show up, <laughs> people seem to, not everybody, but, but the people who I'm going to, I'm likely to connect with, I connect with. Right. Yeah. What a concept. <laughs> True. So I'm calling my new work as I as I move into the new year. I'm calling I'm I'm shifting the way I work a little bit and I'm calling it soul deep. Oh, but I like that. That's in response to this lifelong journey that I've been becoming increasingly incre- and in- increasingly and increasingly uh aware of and conscious of and embracing is it's all about going deeper and deeper into our essence and bringing that out. You know, so. And then you're modeling that for so many other people. I try. Oh, you are. I mean, you just are. Yeah. Even, I don't think you have to try. Just be, (laughs) you know. Well, that's it. You know, see, as quickly as that, I go, go into a place of I try as if, there is something I need to do other than be George right. in order to accomplish this. Yeah. And the whole, and so that's embedded in me. That's right. in my DNA and yeah. in, in the consciousness is about keep remembering and keep being and keep breathing that all you got to do is show up in your truth. Mm-hmm. That's what the world is waiting for. Yeah. I had seen on, um, I think it was your website, a mention of art therapy. Mm-hmm. And um, I was fortunate enough um, to take some art therapy graduate courses. I know you did, too. Yeah, you took I did a too. lot of art therapy. Yeah, my wife's your an, wife's art, an art, art therapist. Yeah. Yeah. And I worked, uh, one of the, I was a teacher for 15 years um, mm. prior to leaving during my own health journey. Um, But one of my favorite places to work was in Massachusetts, and I worked at a collaborative filled with art therapists and expressive therapists um, who just did absolutely phenomenal work with students with emotional and behavioral concerns. So they were middle school and high school. Um, I'm assuming in some way, shape, or form you use art therapy with the people you work with and in your own life, yes? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was very blessed to get to know Aviva Gold, who created a program called uh, Painting from the Source. And um, we became very good friends. And when when she decided, uh, first of all, I I took her program a number of times. Um, And just just the process of expressing raw 
being <laughs> with paint um, is so healing in and of itself. Uh, but she got to a point where she wanted to teach other people how to do what she was doing and, and teach it to others. And so I helped her put together that program, and we co-taught the the, um, the first. It was a two-year program back then, um, over 30 days over the course of each year. And what a gift that was. Yeah. You know, to just because in order to help other people go deeper and deeper, you have to go deeper. You and deeper. have to, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't fake that. No, <laughs> just people no try. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so now, even though I don't do that particular kind of work in the same way, I mean that's that's her thing to do and and their thing to do. Um, I found my own way to do it, and I found other teachers who I love to, I don't know if you know um, Whitney Freya no. or Laura Hollick. Laura Hollick created this thing called um, International Soul Art Day. Oh, and I, do you know that? No. No. I, I participate no. in that every year. And, no. I mean, when it's is just, that? When is that? Uh, it, it just ended, oh. I think. I think it's in the late spring or early summer. And she's here? In- she's in Canada. Canada. Yeah, but okay. she does all of this online. Of okay. She does it all online. Very so, cool. Uh, and Whitney Freya, um, she's, I mean, you've got to know Whitney Freya. I she's, don't. She's doing amazing work in the world oh. with with art. Um, yeah, I got to work with uh, Whitney last year at a, at a retreat that we were leading out in uh, uh, Colorado, and, and uh, she's just She's amazing in, in awesome. how easily she gets people to go deep, and they don't even know they're going deep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like some of these, a lot of the students I worked with at the collaborative were gang-involved. Uh-huh. And um, these, they were all, I have to say, they were all women mm-hmm. that were the art therapists, but um, all from Leslie. I believe mm-hmm. they were all from Leslie University. Mm-hmm. Um, and they connected with these kids like, I just loved having them in my classroom yeah. because my first degree is in art anyway. Okay. And then I was a yeah. special ed teacher. So to have them in my classroom and connecting with the kids and the kids just coming alive with them and, you know, dropping some of the bravado and dropping some of the yeah. armor, I called it, that mm-hmm. they wore. And um, I just I just loved it. It was some of the most amazing moments. Yeah. I can just see them painting and, yeah. and doing. And then I would do all these things with them as well. So it was it was wonderful. Yeah. I remember we did, uh, we had, I had them trace their bodies and, and put the holes where they felt they had holes in them. And then I had them fill it up with different types. They created all these different flowers and bouquets and things they thought could fill the holes. And, and then they hung them all around the, the classroom so that they saw their bodies filled with mm-hmm. something beautiful mm-hmm. instead of filled with the dark. Oh, so, that's great. Yeah. I just love, ugh. Yeah. As soon as I saw that on there, I was like, Eric, he does art. <laughs> <laughs> and, and very often I'll do it like the retreat I, w- I was doing in um, Michigan this year. Um, at one point, I, I had us all making amulets. First, uh, I guided them through some guided imagery to come up with a symbol yeah. and something that, would, that they felt would protect them. And so they drew it, and then they, out of polymer clay, they made the uh, symbol, and then we baked it, and they were able to wear it on a, yeah. on a um, cord 
that that you know during the session yeah. and um, it was very exciting for them just such a simple way of of being able to go in connect with some inner part of yourself that knows exactly what you need for your own protection for your own safety and you express it and then you have it tangibly Mm -hmm. I mean, what a gift that is for people. I remember we did something similar to that. We had no money at the collaborative, and we used aluminum foil uh-huh. and um, pieces of yarn, and they could decorate. We did it with um, the gentleman's name. I think his name was Larry. He did, like, a Native American journey. Uh-huh. And then it was all boys at that time in that particular thing, and they had to kind of find their their power. and what, Power and, and then they, yeah, yeah, and they made their their... Thing to hang, and it was out of you know feathers and beads, yeah, and, sure. but they were like they loved it. They were so and they were all in a circle together. And, yeah, it's your uh, prayer, it's your prayer pouch. Yeah, oh, yeah. it was so yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. And these guys are not guys that are like let's get in a circle and you know talk about prayer pouches. Like, yeah. they were like, <laughs> yeah. y'all mess really, you know. But they really loved it. They yeah. loved it, and they connected yeah. to that that gentleman Larry that was doing it. And I remember we had a candle in the middle and. Uh-huh. You know, this isn't your traditional public school by any means, <laughs> but it was amazing. Yeah. I love that. Wonderful. Good stuff, Eric. Good stuff. Yeah. You know, I could talk about this all day. Yeah. <laughs> and I could listen to it all <laughs> <laughs> Well, unfortunately, we have to wrap it up. So, uh, do you have any upcoming events, George, that you'd like to share with us? Um, <laughs> actually, I have nothing coming up at the moment. Okay. Um, I'm focusing all of my attention on the shift in, in how I'm working. Um, but I, I will be having some art shows and, and a couple of retreats uh, in the future at the Mercy Center and Copper Beach and oh, places like that. Oh, I went to like the Mercy that. Center, so, too. Okay, perfect. So, you know, stay tuned. and, and uh, So you show your own art. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. I did an art series uh, based on my experience with cancer, and I thought I was going to be expressing the cancer. Mm-hmm. What what yeah. turned out, what came out were angels, and I realized I wasn't expressing the cancer. I was expressing the healers. Yeah, uh, I love it. And it was a it was a wonderful show. And and, uh-huh. uh, and what and what medium did you use for acrylic? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Do you uh-huh. photograph all of your carns or carns and then show that ever? Um, I haven't shown them, um, yeah. but I am working on a book. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. There you go. So I, I was thinking, and Eric were, and I were talking about it, that um, our listeners would, you know, we have listeners here as well. We have them all over the world. But, I mean, as far as if they'd like to use your services, are, mm-hmm. are you available as a as a life coach and as a recovery coach, mm-hmm. regardless if people are here in Connecticut? And if so, oh, yeah. how do they get in touch with you? Uh, you can go to my website, georgeherrick.com. Uh, you can email me, georgeherrick330 at gmail.com. Um, Is that the best way for them to get you, would you probably, say? Probably. Okay. Probably. Because yeah. we want people that get the quickest access yeah. to you. Yeah. Right, yeah, the awesome. email is probably the best way to, to get me. And are you on, uh, we know you're on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Uh, any yeah. other social media? No. No. 
Okay. You'd, ha- you'd have an amazing Instagram, George, I if know. you just like threw those up. Every- I know. You know my, how many people would be like, 1,700 and what? My coach is trying to get me on Instagram. Yeah. It, it'll, happen, it'll happen probably in October. Oh, good, okay. good. Okay. Then we'll link back to you, definitely. Okay. Because yeah. that would be a beautiful Instagram. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much, George, for coming on the podcast today. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And yeah. thank you for all the beauty in different ways that you're bringing to the world. Mm. So thank you so, so very much. Listeners, have you ever worked with a life or recovery coach? If so, let us know how it was for you. And you can use the Anchor app to leave us an audio message. Or use your phone's voice memo app to record a message and email it to us at healingisinyourhands at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you may hear yourself on a future episode of Healing is in Your Hands. Now it's time for a special meditative moment with George. So let's take a couple of deep breaths, breathing deep into your belly and chest, and breathing out, relaxing your body. Take a few more deep breaths, deep into your belly and chest, relaxing any areas of stress or tension with every exhalation. And as you breathe, also relax your mind. Just notice any thoughts as they come and go without attaching to them. Almost as if you're allowing your thoughts to drift through your mind like clouds drifting overhead. And as you relax your body and your mind, relax your emotions. Just notice what you're feeling. Let any emotions be okay. Notice them without attaching to them. And just be. And imagine that you're at your favorite place on the earth. It may be the beach. It may be a mountain. It may be by a stream or in a field somewhere. Walk a little in your favorite place. Feel the earth beneath your feet. Feel the air around you. Notice if there are birds singing in the background. Notice if there are any crickets or any other sounds. Maybe the leaves crackling underfoot or reeds brushing in the wind. Notice what you hear. Notice what you see. Notice what you feel. What can you reach out and touch around you?
make this experience as real for you as you can by aligning your breath, your relaxed breath, your relaxed body, your relaxed mind and emotions in this beautiful place in nature that is special to you. And as you align, notice a figure coming toward you. This figure feels very comfortable. There's something about the energy. And as it gets closer and closer to you, you feel more and more relaxed. You know this figure somehow, maybe as a part of this life, maybe in your dreams, or maybe it's just a deep knowing somewhere in your body. But the familiarity is very comforting to you and helps you to relax and sink into the inner trust you have deep down in your soul. The figure comes next to you and you sit together. And as you sit together, you feeling the energy of your companion and your companion feeling your energy. You begin to intuit that this being, this presence, has a message for you. And it's a message about something you need to let go. There is something in your life, some dream that you have, some goal, some desire, and there is something in the way of your achieving it. And this presence that's come to you has a message for you about exactly how to let that go in this moment. Notice what that is. Even if you can't form a clearer picture in your mind, trust that you have a sense of it. And as the figure rings a bell, with the vibration, let this block go. Move around a little. Let your shoulders flex a little. Wiggle your toes, wiggle your fingers. Notice how freeing it is 
to let go of whatever that block may have been. Maybe you can breathe just a little more clearly. Maybe your chest feels lighter. Maybe your head feels clearer. Just notice what it may be. And if you notice nothing at all, let, let that be okay too. Maybe it'll happen later. And maybe it already happened just by you relaxing in this experience. And breathe. And align yourself with the energy of this being. And it's brought you one more gift. This time, when it rings the bell, it has something to offer you that will help you accept a piece of you that you've had trouble accepting. And this will awaken the gift you're trying to bring to the world. Take a deep breath and relax and turn to the figure and in your own way, in your own time, thank this figure, thank, thank this guide for coming to you and giving you these gifts today. Know that you can return to the memory of this experience anytime you choose, just by breathing, relaxing, tuning into the experience. And when you're ready, leave your guide, walk back to where this experience began Take a deep breath. Feel all the energy coursing through your body. Bring your awareness and your attention back to your present physical surroundings. Feel what it feels like to be in your body. And welcome. Welcome home. Welcome to your aliveness. Thanks for joining us. As always, follow us on all our social platforms, Facebook and Instagram, Healing is in Your Hands, Twitter, Healing is in You One, and of course, on Snapchat at Feral20 and Earthwalker11. Production of Healing is in Your Hands is by Andrea Maraskin with musical interludes by Craig Norton. Remember to subscribe and tell your friends. And if you have a minute, rate and review Healing is in Your Hands on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Until next time, friends, I'm Kim Fleck. 
And I'm Eric Harris. And remember that healing is in your hands. <laughs>